Welcome to Fire Away, Rudner Law's online show focusing on the employment law issues that matter to you. My name is Stuart Rudner. I'm an employment lawyer and mediator and your host of this season four, episode four of Fire Away. Just a reminder that Fire Away streams live online every month. And if you missed an episode or if you want to watch one again, they're always available on our YouTube channel, our Facebook page, LinkedIn, and on our website. Also, if you are watching live and have a question or a comment, we'd love to respond. So feel free to post uh, comments on Facebook or YouTube or tweet to at Runner Law, and we'd uh, love to have your input. Today, I am very excited to have uh, what I think will be a very interesting discussion and, and debate. Um, so first of all, I'm joined by Ryan Malo, who is the Director of Provincial Affairs in Ontario for the Canadian Federation of Independent Businesses, uh, Business and also by joined by Dave Wakeley, a mediator, negotiator, and union president. We're gonna be talking about the controversy surrounding paid sick days for workers, which frankly has been a contentious issue for a very long time, but particularly during the COVID-19 pandemic. So Dave, Ryan, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Ryan. So as I mentioned in uh, my brief intro, this has been a controversial issue for a long time. And in Ontario, uh, we go back not that long ago. And when the Liberals were last in power, they completely revamped the Employment Standards Act. And one of the things they did was they introduced two paid sick days. Um, and just to provide some context, we did not have sick days, paid sick days, I should say, in Ontario before that. And most provinces in Canada still don't have paid sick days, with the exception of two. When the Conservatives came into power, they reversed a lot of the changes, including the paid sick days. So currently we, we have, we're back to having none, like, like most other provinces in Canada. Um, and this issue really came to life again over the last 14 months as we've lived through the pandemic. And we've seen and read about stories where people are going into work when they are sick, when they're exhibiting symptoms, when they're waiting for their test results risking a, a workplace outbreak, um, but the response often has been, been that they could not afford to give up a day's pay, so they had no choice. So we're joined by Dave and Ryan, who I think are going to bring some different perspectives, but uh, hopefully some, uh, some interesting comments and solutions as well. So Dave, let me start with you, uh, and I'll start with a very broad question. Should employees be legislatively entitled to paid sick days? I, I think that the legislator needs to act to, to create something for employees to ensure that they continue to get paid. Um, we know that how people get paid drives behavior and we've seen sort of the public health consequences of not having paid sick days. So I think that in the future, we're, we're probably going to need to deal with some sort of mechanism to allow employees to take time off with pay. Ryan, what about you? What do you have to say? So I think for us, it really depends on the, the context of the time period. I think it became pretty clear pretty quickly when the uh, from the outset of the pandemic that we were going to need something. And we did see Ontario move uh, the fastest, I believe, in the country when it came to job protected days around COVID. Uh, the federal government followed up on the paid side a little bit after that. Um, but certainly during the pandemic, when you've got medical advice that uh, not just advises, but requires isolation for long periods of time, you know, in the two week uh, side of things, um, there's going to need to be something to cover that period. If we're talking about coming out of COVID, and hopefully we're a lot closer to that than we are far away, um, I think that's a separate conversation. And that's where we really need to look at, you know, what is the post-pandemic environment? What position are uh, small businesses in particular in after being battered uh, for the last 14 months? 
months? And fundamentally, is this something that they are able to afford uh, moving forward? Because this would be the introduction of a significant new cost on their end. Yeah, and look, obviously, you bring up the, the key point here, which is what are what are the costs and who pays for them? And you know, the simple math is if you add, you know, the, often the calls for ten paid sick days, especially in light of the uh, the quarantine period, uh, ten paid sick days is basically a four percent increase to payroll. So this, this is a real concern. And our firm, as viewers will know, we work with employers, we work with employees, and we work with employers of all sizes, uh, and some can bear the costs. Uh, and, but others have said, particularly in the COVID world, they have been decimated. They can barely afford to keep the doors open, let alone pay for, uh, for more days where people are not working. Um, so I just wanted to, to come back to that because there's just so many different aspects we can talk about. But uh, from your perspective, I mean, is there a, some sort of a hybrid model where, you know, because obviously one of the debates is who pays, an employer or government? And I'm, I'm curious as to what your thoughts are on that. So I, I think coming or it, it, during the pandemic, I think fundamentally it has to be government. I mean, right now in Ontario, only 25% of businesses are at their normal revenue levels. Uh, most of them remain shut down and looks like they will uh, still be shut down at least through June 2nd. Uh, and we know that reopening is not going to be in, in one fell swoop, that we are going to see capacity restrictions and other things that limit businesses' ability to, uh, to generate revenue. Uh, we also know that the COVID-related debt load is exceptionally high among small businesses in Ontario, $208,000 on average. So there is a very large hole to climb out of. So I think uh, at, at least in the short term, certainly around the pandemic period, um, it does have to be government funded, uh, as we've seen Ontario with their uh, uh, current program, as well as the federal government uh, with their program as well. Great. Uh, perfect segue to what I was going to bring it back to you. So, Dave, you know, there are some supports that, that the different levels of government have introduced. So what are, what are your thoughts on, on those and, and what else is needed? I mean, I think the new model that Ontario has moved to where employers are going to be able to apply for that support, but they provide the, the money directly to employees on their regular paycheck is really where we need to be. Most employees who are going to be driven by an economic decision to go to work or not go to work don't have the flexibility to wait a week or two to get uh, the federal benefit. So being able to keep it as, as streamlined as possible for the employees, I, I think, is important. Uh, I do agree with Ryan. I think that we need to look at government funded programs to help support employers through this. And I, I think a lot of it relates to how we're going to change our view on sick time. We used to view it as a, as a really independent benefit. Um, I know when I negotiated collective agreements, we always thought about the, the benefit to the individual. I think after COVID, it's clear that the benefits are to the workplace and to the clients of that workplace, because I don't know about you, but I haven't been sick in a year. And I can't remember a year where I've been so healthy with no upper respiratory junk or sore throat or anything like that. And, and I think that that sort of societal good, we need to look at how we can spread out that, um, that cost. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. And yeah, we've been talking about that in my family, that nobody's been sick in over a year, which is one nice, nice benefit. Um, trying to keep uh, a glass half full perspective. Um, but you also sort of alluded to a point that I was going to bring up anyways, um, which is that there are some businesses and there was an interesting article and in, I believe it was CBC News recently talking about Riverside Natural Foods and another business who basically took the approach that, you know, making sure people don't work when they're sick 
is a positive and has a positive impact on the bottom line um, because they are not risking shutdowns. They're not risking slowdowns or anything like that. So um, I guess, Ryan, I, I, what, what are your thoughts on, on you know, whether this should be seen as a cost or something that's actually has a positive impact on the bottom line? Well, I think it's going to be a really interesting thing to look at coming out of the pandemic period is has the attitude around sick days in the small business community uh, shifted? I think it's pretty fair to say that, you know, if you asked uh, today, if you asked before the pandemic, if you asked after, no employer wants their employees to come in sick. Um, certainly now when the stakes are a little bit higher and you have the chance to create an outbreak that could result in, you know, what little of your business is open to be fully shut down or, you know, heaven forbid, extend this pandemic any longer than it needs to be. Um, certainly no business owner wants to see that. Um, right now, or I should say pre-pandemic, a lot of em uh, employers did offer the flexibility around sickness to take time. The key element though is paid time. And again, Paid time is introducing additional costs. And I think coming out of the pandemic, the mindset that all small business owners are going to be in uh, is what can I afford right now? What are things costing? Where are my revenues at? Where is consumer confidence at when it comes to coming back to the business? So I think that that's really going to drive the conversation. And if the uh, plan coming in was entirely on the backs of employers, uh, I don't think you're going to see a lot of support for it in the small business community, despite the understanding that you know there is a net benefit to uh, not having employees come in sick, not infecting others in the workplace uh, and slowing things down on that side. Yeah, I, mean, I think almost everyone will agree. You don't want people at work when they're sick. And, and I, I'm sure you guys saw this too. I mean, for a while, it seemed like there was this trend of having, you know, attendance bonuses. So it became a big thing. Uh, so you'd have people who, you know, they got towards the end of the year, they hadn't had a single sick day. They get sick in November, December. A lot of them were coming to work. And we'd often talk about presenteeism as opposed to absenteeism. Uh, so that was, you know, one issue where people were at work when they should have stayed home. Of course, consequences, as you said, Ryan, are a lot more severe when we're talking about the risk of, uh, of a COVID outbreak. Um, but what I was going to ask you as well is, you know, what about controlling this? Because we know, you know, for, for everything that we introduce, whether it's, you know, sick days, human rights, et cetera, you know, the vast majority of people are only going to use it when they need it, when it's legitimate, but you are going to have people who abuse the system. So, um, and I'd be curious about what, to, what your thoughts are and we'll start, start with you, Ryan. What your thoughts are on what should be in place to control abuse of, of sick days? Yeah, so I will say that's a real concern among small business owners. And there is certainly a sour taste in a lot of Ontario business owners' mouths after the uh, introduction of those personal emergency leave days under the Wynn government. I mean, anecdotally, we had businesses calling in on February 2nd of that year saying half my staff um, is taking their PEL day on the first working day of the year. Now, it was a new entitlement that is certainly not something that I think was super widespread, but it's happened enough and business owners are exchanging the stories enough that there is certainly a lot of concern around uh, ensuring that those days are taken legitimately. I think a lot of business owners are really fond of doctor's notes. Traditionally, that's sort of been the thing that's been used. I will say we do have doctors amongst our membership as well. They certainly are not fond uh, of doctor's notes and certainly not during a pandemic. They have other better things they need to be doing. Um, so I think it's looking at what else can you use when it comes to proof. I think especially during COVID, you know, the current uh, provincial entitlement allows you to take a day to go get vaccinated. I'm a little dicey on employers asking for proof of vaccination, but there are other documentation you get. If it's an appointment, you have an appointment booking code. Um, you do, if it's a pop-up, you get information. There's a pamphlet that's handed to you um, at that point as well. So I think there are some things that you can use for it. 
But I also think the other key point around here, around any program, is to ensure the government is communicating what a business can ask for well. I think there was a lot of concern around the PEL days where, you know, if an employee is taking a day at Wonderland, I can't ask for a doctor's note, there's nothing I can do about it. That wasn't true. If you found an employee was abusing those days, you could absolutely take action uh, in, in the same way that you would in any other circumstance where an employee is you know, effectively blowing off work uh, for, for a, a non-legitimate reason. Um, but that wasn't communicated clearly. All they heard was you can't ask for sick days, which moved to you can't ask for proof at all, uh, which moved to employees are going to abuse it. So I think the keys are have, have something. Again, I don't think doctor's notes are the way, but also ensure uh, is communicated well to employers what they can ask for, what is legitimate, and what they can do in the event that days are being abused. Yeah. And, and you kind of hit, hit on one of my favorite points, which is that everyone makes these assumptions. You know, it doesn't matter what we're talking about when it comes to employment law. And that's a big one is, you know, when PEL days came in, oh, this is ridiculous. People can just take days off and we can't control it. Even if we know, even if we see the pictures of them on their long weekend in Vegas, we can't do anything about it. And of course, as you said, it could. So part of it falls on the government for communication. Part of it, it falls on the, on the, the backs of employers to do their research, get the right advice, talk to their employment lawyer, find out what their rights and their obligations are. Um, so Dave, let me, uh, I don't want to uh, exclude you from this discussion because it's a really important one to me. And when we talk about potential abuse by employees, uh, what are your thoughts on how to deal with that? Well, I think doctor's notes are just punitive. Um, outside of the, the really long periods of absence, I, I mean, I've seen doctors that will write notes declaring the patient's a flower pot. I think I, I, it, it just does not matter. There's always some doctor that's willing to write a note saying, oh, well, this person told me they were sick. And then, you know, what does the employer do? I think the other huge hazard to employers that I run into in my practice is they get doctor's notes that have way too much detail. And now they have a piece of information that they have to deal with. Um, and it was unintended that they got it, but now they have it. And they don't always have the skills necessary in-house to figure out how to deal with that. And they don't always have the willingness to go outside. So I think even asking for doctor's notes can create hazards for employers as well. Um, if they, they don't have the appropriate controls around that information and how they're going to deal with it coming in. So I, I get that abuse could be an issue. I think that we need to educate employers around pattern absenteeism um, and, and things of that ilk. And obviously if you see people on social media doing things when they're supposed to be sick, those are a big issue. Um, I think that the, the Pell days when they were around really failed to take employers' needs into account. Um, there was no um, requirement to call a certain amount ahead of time. My, my clients that don't have sick time in their collective agreement have huge problems with people not showing up, showing up uh, or calling in after the start of the shift. If you have a production line that has 10 spots to make a widget and you're missing spot eight, the widget doesn't get made unless you can call someone in. So then there's a huge amount of downtime and those costs, because now you're paying nine or yeah, you're paying nine people to sit around waiting for that 10th person to come in to make your widgets. They, they really elevate the, the cost of the business. So I think that the whole thing needs to be looked at. We need to look at provisions that help employers maintain their operations, even if people do call in sick. Yeah, look, I think you made a great point. And I think most of us don't like the idea of burdening the medical system, burdening doctors. But I think a lot of employers just throw up their hands and say, well, how am I, how am I supposed to know? And you know, the example I've used for 
years now is, you know, that employee who is always sick on the Friday before every long weekend in the summer. Uh, and of course, a lot of people make this mistake, uh, which is, you know, if you have a collective agreement, that's one thing. But a lot of employers write their policies as if they are collective agreements, even though, though they don't have to. And I'd say probably at least half the sick day policies that I see will say, if you're absent for more than three days, we have the right to request a doctor's note. But what about those one-offs on the Friday before every long weekend? So um, I don't know if either of you have any thoughts. So if it's not a doctor's note, then then what should an employer be asking for if they are suspicious of, of pattern absences? I think it depends on the circumstance. Like again, during COVID, I think that what the uh, leave that's in place is supposed to be used for does provide a relatively clear pathway to documentation. Again, if you're uh, booking a vaccination appointment, if you have been uh, advised to stay home, including by the employer themselves, right? Like you may be in a situation where you failed the mandatory screening and the employer has to say, well, now you need to stay home. It actually triggers the sick days. Um, on that side. So uh, I think in the short term, there's relatively good coverage. I think moving forward, though, it's it's a significant question mark. And it may be, and I've seen some businesses turn to doing this, it may be something as simple as having the employee, when they're able to return to work, sign an attestation to say that these days were taken for legitimate reasons. And if it is found out later that they're not, um, there are consequences around that, and that might put some business owners' minds at ease. Um, it may be, uh, you know, calling into telehealth or something on that side. But to, to David's point, I think that there's a lot of a lot of trust that goes into doctors' notes because it's a note from a doctor that is a medical professional and it's clear. Whereas the reality on the ground is, you know, a lot of times a, a employee is going into the doctor after they've been sick. You know, I had. 24 hour flu, 48 hour flu, I was flattened on the couch. I'm not going to drag myself to my doctor's office to get a note signed and then go back to the couch for another 24 hours, then come into work sort of thing. So I think there needs to be a bit of a bit of a change on the mindset about sort of what proof is. But I think it's, again, more about communicating if abuse is found, if that is a concern and that's that's happening, reminding employers that there can be consequences to that, that these aren't just days to take for any reason. There are set reasons to do it. Uh, and if they are being abused, you can take action as an employer. I think short of a statutory solution, there's also the need for employers to develop more flexible policies around working at home. Um, we, we don't really want people coming into work sick, but we live in a world where prior to the pandemic, a lot of people didn't take vacation time because vacation time just meant your work piled up on your desk while you were gone. And when you showed back up to work, oh, look, all your work is there. Um, so I, I think the same thing will happen with sick time. If we get um, the, the industries that can, the ability for people to work from home when they're not feeling well and to very quickly change course on whether or not they're going to go into work for that day, I think that has the effect of protecting the workforce and keeping the employer as whole as possible, um, really getting both sides of the bargain taken care of. Yeah, that's an interesting point, although it raises another issue, which I've seen happen a number of times, which is, you know, where we had clients where a worker will call in or often email in the morning and say, I'm not feeling well, I'm going to stay at home today. Uh, but then the employer notices that they seem to be responding to emails and they seem to be doing work. And then when the employer, quote unquote, docks them for a sick day, the person says, no, 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 I was working from home. So I think there's got to be a lot better communication as far as what does it mean if you're at home? Is it a sick day where you are not working or does it mean you're working from home? So I think a lot of employees seem to think they can 
sort of merge the two concepts, which uh, which is great. Like, I think you make a great point, Dave. If you can work from home, especially in the midst of the pandemic, if you can work from home, you should. Um, but it's got to be clear whether you're working or whether it's a, a quote unquote sick day. Absolutely. Yeah. And that, that's going to be an interesting bridge as we come out of this, you know, given that, you know, office based businesses in particular have really been from home uh, during the pandemic is how how much of that really does stick around moving forward? Are we in a really remote world? Are we going to look at more a hybrid thing? Are people going to come back um, to the office? But that's a conversation that these uh, employers and employees are going to have, because at the same time, you want to ensure that, you know, people aren't sort of finding a workaround at the system. I think we've all had those colleagues in office settings that are hacking up a lung in the next office over and they go, because I'm not flattened, I can still come in. And it's like, that's great. But, you know, you represent my seasonal flu. You should have stayed home. And yeah, you can still be working, but you're also protecting me um, at that point, too. So I think there's there's going to have to be a real revisit, especially as we um, bring work from home, which is a, a new concept for a lot of offices um, into the mix around how how we're treating sick days when, you know, the uh, worker has their laptop on them. Yeah, and I think that's going to become a real issue. And I, I do want to, you know, I guess, come back to one point that I think needs to be clarified, because we've been talking about sort of paid sick days slash sick days. Um, but I think it's important people understand that there's a very big difference between paid sick days and sick days, because you have a lot of people, especially over the last 14 months or so, who have taken time off because they were sick, had symptoms, were waiting for a test, had to quarantine, et cetera, um, but they were not paid. Um, and that creates perhaps less of a burden on the employers, although it still, still does create an issue. I mean, I had one one client who was saying they had you know, two particular employees who I think he said they were in their third bout or third round of stay at home because they thought they had been exposed. And there was a lot of skepticism about whether the employers really thought they'd been exposed or whether they realized that they could just get 10 days off if they said they had been. But I think it's important to know that there are paid sick days and unpaid sick days. And I was wondering, and, and I guess I'll start with you, Ryan. I mean, I know from my, you know, what we do and the policies that we see, a lot of employers offer paid sick days, even though they're not legislatively required. And I don't know if you have a handle on, on what proportion of employers do. So I don't have a, a set number on it. We know a lot of them do. We know even more offer the unpaid time as well. Again, that flexibility often tends to be what draws someone to a small business and they're able to uh, provide it in that environment. Again, we're also talking about places that don't have, you know, giant HR departments if there's an HR department at all. So it's often the conversation between the the business owner um, or the floor manager and the employees on the ground. So that, that flexibility tends to be there. Um, but yeah, it comes back to, you know, what what capacity do they have to pay for a sick day? Is there a competitive advantage to offering sick days, which I think a lot of employers do feel like that is an advantage that uh, I know during the PEL days, a lot of them were quite annoyed to see that advantage effectively taken away uh, from them on the government side. And they felt that they would have to offer more, which again, puts them in a, in a bit of a financial uh, constraint position. Um, I think the other aspect of this too, on the paid side really does come down to who is paying. Um, our numbers are showing, at least during the pandemic, there's a lot more appetite to support a program where the business isn't footing the final bill. Um, that's what we see in Ontario with the current program and the uh, employer income protection uh, program, I think it's called, um, which is positive. Although I will note those days have now been accessible for a month back to April 19th. The portal to get repaid as a business owner is still not open on the WSIB side and no timeline for it. 
So we are already hearing plenty of complaints saying, I have to pay this thing out. I don't really have the money to do it. And I have no way to get reimbursed now in real time, despite the fact that my bills are still coming in, payroll still needs to go out um, and that sort of thing. So I think too, when we're looking at the government presence in these sort of programs, I think there's the belief that because they have the checkbooks, they can just do it. I will tell you, any Ontario business owner that's dealt with the Small Business Support Grant program uh, will tell you that government is not fast or particularly well organized or necessarily well suited um, to actually get this stuff out the door in a timely manner. So that's something that really needs to be uh, looked at, too, on that side. Great, great point on the implementation of all these plans, whatever they may be. And, and I think, you know, from what I'm getting, one of the points I'm getting from your comments, Ryan, is that, you know, there's the... Uh, measures that need to be put in place during the pandemic and then you know the measures that we'll consider afterwards and those are really two different things so we are at 12:55 already uh before i get to uh to my my chance to fire away at the end i'll i'll give both of you a chance if you have a last word or a last comment you wanted to make uh dave if you want to go first and, and i will tell you now i'm going to steal your flower pot flower pot comments because i love that so, so thank you for that yeah, I, I just think that uh, we need to reimagine sick time as a, a community-based benefit, as really the same way we think about insurance. Um, it is a way to stop workers from coming in and bringing sickness into the workplace. And we need to provide supports for business to provide that insurance, not to the sick employee, but to the other employees who are showing up um, to, to do the work. So I don't know what that's going to look like, um, but I think that that's the sort of system we need to look at developing. Great. Thanks, Dave. That's really helpful. And Ryan, last uh, final thoughts? Yeah, I think it's absolutely going to be an issue that's going to be talked a lot about moving forward. We are heading into an election uh, soon in about a year, and I do think it'll be a central point uh, coming on that side. And I think the the key is to really, really get a sense for what shape the small business community in particular is coming out of this. Um, but also looking at what we want. And I think it's it's very fair to say that no business owner uh, in the province in the country wants to find themselves in another pandemic situation, another case where, you know, you've got a virus that's spreading out of control. How do we stop that from happening? Do sick days have a role to play? I think they absolutely need to be part of the conversation. And we really need to look at, uh, as a business community, what does and doesn't work uh, on their side and how we can be part of that conversation constructively uh, moving forward. That's fantastic. Thank you, guys. You guys are both great. So thank you for for joining me today. I wish we had more time, but I appreciate you both joining me for that discussion. And um, yeah, now I get my chance to fire away. Okay, well, this is uh, more of a summary than a typical fire away rant, but uh, really I wanted to reflect back upon the discussion that I just had during season four, episode four of fire away with Ryan and Dave and, and a pretty lively debate, I'll say, regarding paid sick days. Uh, so, you know, the interesting thing, there was, a, I would say, more agreement during the discussion than I had originally anticipated. I, I expected that we would all agree that nobody wants employees to be attending at work when they're sick, especially during a pandemic and exposing um, people to a potential workplace outbreak. Even before the pandemic, we often talked about presenteeism and people who were at work when they really should be at home. Now it's a much bigger issue. Um, but of course, the counter argument has been that, you know, providing paid sick days on the one hand will allow people to stay at home who can't afford to lose a day's pay, but it also means that someone's got to pay for it. And that's either an employer who may or may not be able to bear that cost 
or it's the government who pays for it. So I, one way, we, one way or another, we need a solution. Um, the devil, as it always is, is in the details. And as I've said, some businesses can't afford it. One idea I've heard floated is, is kind of like the the wage subsidy. Uh, it wasn't a one size fits all approach. And businesses who could afford to incur costs were expected to. But businesses who could show a drop in revenue of a certain level were provided with subsidies. So that's one option is it's sort of a hybrid model where employers pay some and, and governments pay some. Either way, there's a whole lot of options that we need to explore. Uh, and also we need to look at potential abuse and making sure that people who take sick days, paid or otherwise, uh, are legitimately sick and unable to work. So I encourage everyone, if you didn't have a chance to watch season four, episode four and get some more insights. Uh, but the last thing I will say is that we're still seeing a whole lot of people, be their employees or employers, making assumptions, You know, assuming that they are required to provide paid sick days, assuming that they are entitled to just simply not go to work and not have to justify their absence. Uh, so I'll remind everyone, as I always do, that the employment relationship is a legal re relationship, and it's critical that you make sure that you know what your rights are and what your obligations are and not make assumptions. So that's that's all I've got for this month. So that's also all the time that we have for our season four, episode four of Fire Away. So I want to thank everyone for tuning in. Uh, I want to thank Ryan and Dave in particular for a really interesting, and enjoyable discussion. I'll remind all the viewers that at Rudner Law, we want everyone to treat their employment relationships as legal relationships and make informed decisions. So I invite you obviously to tune into our show every month. I invite you to follow our social media, to sign up for our news newsletter. And although I wish I didn't have to keep saying this, uh, to keep up to date on workplace COVID-19 issues by checking out our COVID-19 resource page on our website. Uh, but as I always say, none of that replaces legal advice tailored to your specific circumstances. If you think you might need an employment lawyer, you probably do. So feel free to reach out to us. Our next episode will be on June 15th with Mike King and Mark Belesh. We'll be discussing recruiting and headhunting and some of the issues that arise. If you have any questions, feel free to send them to info at runnerlaw.ca. A reminder again, past episodes can be found on our YouTube channel, our Facebook page, LinkedIn page, and of course on our website. And lastly, thank you to Rob, to Rebecca, to Mark for helping to put the show together. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll see you next time.